Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Father, we thank you. Just even reading this title, we, we thank you that we don't have to wait to last Thursday in Thanksgiving to give you thanks. We can give you thanks every day. We can give you thanks in the good times. But more importantly, we, we have to command our soul to give us thanks in the hard times. To give you thanks in the hard times. Because you're still good. You never leave us. You never forsake us according to your word. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is with us at all times. Maturing us and strengthening us. Molding us, shaping us into the image of your Son. So, Father, we just come this morning as we go over these psalms to give you thanks. As we read this psalm of thanksgiving. To give you the praise and the glory and the honor you so deserve. Lord, I know in, I know in a room this size, there's, there's a lot of different needs amongst the sheep here this morning. There's some, maybe some major disappointments going on in people's minds and hearts. There may be some tremendous joys taking place. And Father, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible, you know exactly what is going on in every individual life here this morning. You are an intimate God. So Father, as we read your word, help us not to overgeneralize it, but help us to make it applicable to my life personally, to our lives personally, because you're here via your Holy Spirit. And you desire to minister to us via your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray for the gift of teaching and that you would be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Psalms, all 150 of them, so we find ourselves at Psalm 100. And we need to remember that we're in book 4 of 5 of the Jewish hymnal book known as the book of Psalms. And book 4 of 5 is Psalm 90 through Psalm 106. That is hymnal number 4. And as I've mentioned before, they were compiled or brought together during those exile years in Babylon. And most were written prior to the removal from the land of Israel and by different human authors. And that's important for us to remember as we're reading these things. They were brought together to express the sorrow, sorrow of heart over the decline. This even sounds like America today. In captivity of the nation of Israel, but also with the hope of God's future blessings. Maybe you're in that area of life right now where you are, have tremendous sorrow for whatever reason. I want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose. That nothing is wasted in God's economy. Nothing is wasted in our lives. If we turn to Him, we can make a shamble of our lives. But if we do what we just even sang this morning, I don't know if you guys saw that. There was that one line in that one song about surrender. Surrender my life. If we truly surrender our lives to His will and to His desires, He is there. He is always there. Now this particular psalm is called a royal psalm with the emphasis placed upon God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. So Psalm 100 a psalm of thanksgiving, make a joyful shout to the Lord, 
all you lands. Notice that. All you lands, or literally all the earth. All the earth. You see, the word tells us that it was the responsibilities of the Israelites to introduce God to the rest of the nations of the world. You see, in the Jewish mindset, the people of those other nations were known as Gentiles. Even to this day, if you visit Jerusalem or New York, or you find an Orthodox Jew, there are only two group of people in the world. There's a Jew or a Gentile. You might think you're some other nationality, but you're either a Jew or a Gentile. That's it. And it's interesting that one of the most powerful ways of reaching a culture is through music. Were any of you touched by the music of the 60s? How many of you were touched, negative or positive? I'm not saying, you know, love song or whatever. Just, just ne- Okay, how many of you were touched by the music of the 70s? I did 60s, right? 70s? How about the 80s? 90s? I know many of you, some of you weren't born yet. We're, we're getting there, don't worry. How many of you were touched by the music of the double zeros? You know? How about right now, the teens? I don't know how you could be touched by some of this music, but it has an impact. It has an effect. Music does. That's just the way it is. And so what we're doing here, even this morning, in case you don't realize it, again, maybe you're newer visiting, is we're actually reading through a song. The Psalms are songs. They're literally songs. When we read them, we just re- kind of read them as a paragraph or a letter or, you know, a short story. And we miss out on that. I, I would love to have all the tunes. We don't. But it'd be nice to know how these melodies went. Music has a tremendous impact. And upon the establishment of the church, it became the responsibility of the church. Now, who makes up the church? Raise your hand if you make up the church. I hope you... <laughs> If you have Jesus as your Savior, even you young people, because a lot of times we use the word church, and instantly we think of what? Just because of our culture, we think of a building on the corner of Santan and Sossaman. And we forget that, no, the church is in your workplace because you're in your workplace. And you might be the only church in your workplace, but you are the church. And so when the church leaves, this just becomes an empty building that gets up to about 86, 87 now. Praise God. The air conditioner is actually cycling over in this area. It's amazing. So if you're a little hot, you might want to move over here because we always keep the north cooler for the winter months. So just keep that in mind. And if you're cold, just move south. Head south like the rest of them do. You see, the church is the one who has the privilege to make known the truths of salvation through Jesus. And hopefully when the world sees us, even as we sang this morning, now I know some people think that music is a filler time so that everybody that's late can get here for the Bible study. That's not what it's for in any church. At least it shouldn't be. And that's not what it's for here. As we sing the songs, I I pray that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. The Holy Spirit ministered to my heart this morning through these songs. The Holy Spirit will, if you allow Him to. And as we do that, then we go out into a world that needs to hear a different song. I don't know if you watch any news, but the songs are pretty nasty. They're not worth listening to at all. Bashing each other constantly 
on Twitter and Facebook and all this other social media nonsense. So people need to hear something different. They need to see something different. They need to know that God can make a difference in our lives. As we see in verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Please don't go to work as a believer like you've been sucking on lemons all day. They don't need to see that. The unbeliever needs to see a healthy Christian. Somebody that's got a smile on their face. Somebody that has something positive to say. Everybody else is saying negative things. How about if we say something positive? That that we have Jesus as our Savior. That we're going to heaven. They need to see it. Come before His presence. Notice that. You're not coming, and I know this is traditional, and I know that people are seeking churches, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But I encourage you, if you're seeking a church, just don't seek a church. Pray about where God is calling you. Pray about where God is calling you. Because what happens in our culture today, and this is just reality, and I talk to other pastors, people will come and they'll taste. Well, I really like the music this morning. I think I'll stay. Teaching wasn't that great, but the music was really good. Or they'll come and say, man, that music was boring. I felt like I was at a funeral. Preaching was pretty good. It could have been better, but you know, it was okay. I think I'll stay. How about prayer? How about asking God where God would like you to be ministered at and minister to someone else? Instead of just thinking about yourself all the time. Not that we're a me generation. How many likes do I have on my Facebook page? When we give God the glory in our private lives, please hear this. Colby, got the slide? Yep, there it is. It will naturally flow out of our lives into the public arena. Guys, this will happen. I worked at Motorola for 12 and a half years. I worked in other public areas before that. It happens. When you are focusing on God's goodness, God's faithfulness, no matter what you're going through, and you can express that in private. There's nothing wrong with that. And you can express that publicly at times. But I greatly encourage you, after you express the disappointment, that you follow it up with, but I know that my God is faithful. And I don't understand why I'm going through this, but God is with me. Then that gives them a, oh, oh. You're not just whining. You're not just complaining. You're making a statement about life. You see, when we find ourselves serving God out of pure motives, having a heart filled with joy for all that He has done for us, when people ask me, how's my day, personally, personally, and if you ask me, after a while, you probably get disappointed. And you might even think, well, you're not real, Pastor. You're just not real. Because you never whine. You never complain. You don't tell me about your faults or, or your wife's faults or your kids' faults. If you get really personal with me, I'll gladly tell you them to ask you to pray for them because I have faults and everybody has faults. Not to whine or complain, but for prayer. But I have a hard time not saying that it's good. Not that I don't have a bad day or have a hard time throughout a day because I do just like everyone else, but I just can't help think about all that I have. And I'm not going to go down that road with you all. Most of you have been here and you know where this road goes. The refrigerator, the bedroom, the bathroom. Flushing the toilet. It's wonderful. Seeing that go away. Praise God. How can you be sad about what you don't have? 
You see, as I acknowledge God's faithfulness in my life, my heart allows the Holy Spirit, please hear this, my heart allows the Holy Spirit to refocus my thoughts. Then I am able to continue to press on and serve the Lord because it is His joy that fills my heart. Now, I went out with a, a pastor for lunch this past week, Pastor Billy from Heart Cry. And, and last week there was a, a 30-year-old pastor of a mega church in California who took his life. Wife and I think two, maybe three children, young children. And I just don't get that. I just don't get it. I understand it. I, I can accept it, but I just don't get it. And I said to the pastor, I go, what? I don't get it. I don't get it. And he, and he knew him. He knows a lot of people that are mega churches. I just don't get it. He says, well, he was young and he couldn't take the pressure. He just couldn't take the pressure. See, I'm older. I don't care. You don't like me? I don't care. I really don't. But I've had this mentality for years. And that's why somebody asked me last night when we were out to a dinner party, how do, how, how do you do counseling? How do you take it? I said, well, I love people, but I don't carry their problems. It's their problems. I, I'm, I'm here for you. I'll be here for you. But I ain't carrying your problems. You need to carry your problem to the cross. You need to carry your problem to the throne of God. And that's what I do. I just take their people. I just take the problem to the throne of the cross, and then I forget it. I mean, the throne of God, and then I forget it. I go, I'm not carrying that. Wow, that was bad. I'm going to pray for you. Praise the Lord, and I'm going to forget all about this. And thank God I wasted my mind in the 70s, so I don't remember. It's nice. It's great. Praise God. I don't look at you any differently before or after the counseling session. You see, I have found. I think I already said that, haven't I? I've also found over the years, the more I serve the Lord. Did I share this already? Whether I feel like it or not, the more joy I have. Let that sink in a little bit. I personally believe depression, and I know it's real, so don't take this in the wrong sense. Don't stop taking your medication or any of that nonsense. But I'm just saying, I think a lot of depression can be alleviated if people would serve. If people would just serve. Well, I can't serve. I'm too depressed. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Start serving. Test me. Test me. Prove me wrong if you're battling depression. Get out and start serving other people on a regular basis. Via the Holy Spirit. Not by your flesh, because yeah, then I'll be wrong. But via the Holy Spirit. You pray. And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to serve over there, but I don't feel like it. Do you want to listen or no? Okay, I'll listen. You do it, I can guarantee you, you are going to feel different. Now, you may still battle with depression your whole life. That's not what I'm saying. That's That may be your chemical makeup. That may be reality. I'm just telling you, serving transforms a person's life. It gets your eyes off of yourself. You see, gladness or joy comes back into my heart, and I am able to press on with what the Lord has for me to do. Notice that, what the Lord has for me to do. Whether that's to love my family, my wife, whether that's to go out and work in the world, whether that's to do a simple task that seems overwhelming at the moment, when I surrender to the Father's will for my life, the Holy Spirit gives me the strength to sing praises to His 
name. Serve the Lord with gladness and watch what he does through you. Take that challenge. Serve the Lord with gladness. God, thank you for using me. And see what happens. You're going to be amazed. Verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. The word know there is to perceive, but it also means to know by experience. To know by experience. Well, how do I know? I've never served. There you go. There you go. What I'm sharing with you is falling on deaf ears because you haven't done it. So you've got to step out and do it. Somehow, some way, via the Holy Spirit, you've got to step out and do it. And you will experience firsthand, not because I say it, not because some other Christian says it, you're going to experience it firsthand. Wow, it works. This actually works. The Holy Spirit used me. Wow, I like this. But you do have to step out. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pastures. Now again, remember, they compiled this while they're in captivity. And even in captivity, the Israelites were able to know that it was God who brought them into being as a nation. It wasn't a group of people that got together and said, hey, let's become the Israelites. That's a really good name. No. God chose Abraham and through that relationship, relationship, brought about the nation of Israel. You see, it is all about relationships. And the Father desires to have a relationship with every human being. Do I know how that happens? Impossible for me. I'm not God. But the Bible says it, so I trust it. So as I think we're approaching 7.3 billion people, Psalm 19. Just read Psalm 19, the first three verses, and that will help answer your, your problem to how could God do that. All of creation cries out. The Bible says there is no language that is not heard. God reaches everyone. Just because he doesn't know Spanish, or I don't know Spanish, doesn't mean God doesn't. I have a hard time with English. Not God, but we limit God. We limit God. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. You see, for every believer this morning, we can claim this for ourselves, that we are the sheep of His pasture. 1 Peter chapter 2, and if you're new or visiting, the team always puts up a slide, so please check out the slide, and please grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, they're in the chair in front of you. Please, this is the Word of God. It's not what Pastor Jim says. It's the Bible. First Peter chapter 2 verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe. So who is this speaking to? You, if you're a believer. You. These verses are for you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can receive Him. I'll say a little prayer at the end of the service. You can receive Him as your Savior, and then you can come into a relationship with Him. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this doesn't apply to you. You're not in the family. Make sure that you know Jesus as your Savior so that you're going to heaven and not heading to hell, because there is a hell. He is precious, but to those who are disobedient to the unbeliever, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock 
of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises. Notice this here. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. How many of you were in darkness before you knew Jesus as your Savior? Any of you in darkness? As I even think about that, how's your day? Good. It's really good. I used to be in darkness 40 years ago. I was heading to hell 40 years ago. I'm going to heaven now. How's my day? It's good. It's good. My worst day. It's good. Praise God. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So no matter what the, a country, no matter what country a believer comes from, as believers we all belong to one nation or kingdom now. And God has made the church one, and by His grace and mercy He holds a universal church together. And actually Catholic actually means universal church. So the universal church is a Catholic church, we're just not the Roman Catholic church. Because that Catholic church submits to Rome and not to the Bible. That's the only difference. But that's a huge difference. Huge difference. So you could say, yes, I'm a Catholic. That means universal church. You just want to specify, I'm not a Roman Catholic. We are his people and not our own. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? This is key. Especially for you younger people. Maybe you're here and you're in junior high or high school and you haven't received Jesus as your Savior yet. And I know for you older saints, you're going to be like, could you not do this? No, I I need to do this. There might be one person here that doesn't understand this. If you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. So you're not going to understand this Bible. Because the Bible says the natural man cannot appraise spiritual things. But the spiritual person can appraise all things. So if you're sitting here bored because your parents are making you come to church and you know what sin is and you deliberately do it and you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, you're going to hell. And you need to receive Jesus as your Savior to make sure you're going to heaven because you're not going to get to heaven and and they're going to say, oh, your parents went to Calvary Chapel. Come on in. That's not how you're going to get to heaven. And if you're an older person punching the religious clock, it's not going to work. You are destined to hell. You need a personal relationship with God via Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, don't play with God. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit literally, God literally comes within us. Whom you have from God, notice this, and you are not your own. Well, I can have sex with my boyfriend. It's my body. I can have an abortion. It's my body. Now, Christians would never say that, right? I've had it said to me. I've had a Christian woman say, I'm, I'm having an abortion. What? What are you talking about? You're, you're not serious, are you? And she did. She went and had an abortion. Now, she's forgiven. Praise God. God loves her. But there are consequences in her life for the rest of her life. Just like King David. 
There are mental consequences and there could be physical consequences. That's just reality. You see, it's not our body. For you were bought at a price. What was the price? The cross. The cross. It wasn't church attendance. It wasn't, well, Jesus prayed and, and that's what paid the price. No, it was the cross. Therefore, because of these things, glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. We belong to God. You see, the psalmist, as we look back into the psalm, the psalmist makes reference to sheep, and we have discussed this many times over the year. You know, sheep are a perfect symbol for the believer, for sheep are totally dependent upon their shepherd for survival. But remember the context here. These sheep left their shepherd and were eventually carried off to Babylon and other nations as well. And so the psalmist, what they're referencing here, the psalmist is proclaiming an obvious truth, but one that had fallen from the forefronts of their minds. And this could be for even you and me today as a believer. When we forget to follow our shepherd, we get into pastures that are not good for us. The grass is greener on the other side. It it is. And once you get over there, you know why. Man, there's a lot of manure over here. Man, is there a lot of manure over here. That's why it's so green. But now you're stepping in the manure. Which will always be filled with a poor and inferior quality of nourishment. But it looks so good. Don't be deceived. When we're in those pastures, it's the flesh that is fed. And we all know what that brings forth. No, a believer should desire to be led by the Holy Spirit, which will lead us to the fields of righteousness for proper nourishment. John 10, 27 says this, my sheep. Notice that, my sheep. Are you one of God's sheep? Are you? Do you know absolutely for sure that you are one of God's sheep? If you are, then you should be in the word of God, not on Sunday morning, but throughout the week as well as on Sunday morning. So you can do what? Hear my voice. And I know them. Isn't that awesome? The shepherd. I know them and they follow me. So are you following your shepherd or are you following your flesh? All of us, self-included, every day, every hour, every minute, we all have choices. Am I going to follow my shepherd or am I going to follow my flesh? What am I going to follow? Be very, very careful what you follow. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Verse 4 here. Notice this. Enter into his gates and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. They're reading this. They're putting this together during the captivity. There is no temple. They're in Babylon. What do you mean enter his courts? There are no courts. It comes back to a personal relationship. And they know, God, you made a promise You said after 70 years that we're going back. And I don't know when they were reading this or when they incorporated this in that 70 years or maybe after the 70 years. But you see, some of them had a hope in God. We're going back, so I'm going to sing this song. And maybe you're in a hard time. Maybe you're in a devastating part of your life. You have to sing songs. You have to. You have to. You have to. 
know that God is with you and what he said is going to take place, that he's never going to leave you nor forsake you and that he will get you to the other side. But are you singing? Are you giving thanks? Are you giving him praise? Well, I don't feel like it. I didn't ask you if you felt like it. Who cares? Do you all feel like being married all the time? I'm surprised. You didn't answer very loudly. I don't feel like being married all the time, okay? Do you all feel like going to school every day? How many of you feel like going to work every single day? I just, oh, I just can't wait to get to work. But it's amazing what we do because we like to eat, right? And we like our home. And we know if we don't do certain things and I don't get a paycheck and I'll be homeless very quick. So I think I'm going to do it. I don't feel like doing it, but I'm going to do it. You got to have that same mentality with your walk with the Lord. I don't feel like it. Who cares? I'm going to do it because this is what God asked me to do. I have the ability to have a relationship with him. I'm going to be thankful. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. Wait a minute. We're in captivity. <laughs> Lord is good. Who brought forth this psalm? Get this song out of my face. Nebuchadnezzar's here. What are you talking about? God is good. God is good. God is good. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. We don't know exactly when this was written. But we could be safe to say it's at least 2,500 years old. And here we are now in 2018. And has God's truth endured to us? Absolutely. And I'm sure many of you in this room could stand up and give a testimony right here, right now, on how God's truth has met you and sustained you and is getting through whatever you're, you're going to get through. That's just a fact. So don't let anybody tell you that it's mythical, it's archaic, it's been mistranslated. Claudia was talking to one of the doctors as she went with a gal to the oncologist, a Muslim doctor, and the Muslim doctor looked at her and said, well, you know, the Bible's been mistranslated over the years and you can't trust the Bible. Uh, Study. King James Version. Okay, the Bible's mistranslated. Let's just go back to the King James Version. 500 years old. Hmm. That's pretty long. That's, that outweighs the Book of Mormon by quite a few years. But then there's thousands, thousands of fragments and letters that date back to the second and the first century. Thousands, not a few hundred, thousands. This is the word of God. Are you going to put your full weight into it? You and I, we need to, we have to. You know, a private prayer of thanksgiving as the word bless carries with it the idea of kneeling, are we privately giving God thanks? Again, notice the word bless here. If you look that up, it carries with it the idea of kneeling. Am I coming with a broken spirit and saying, God, I thank you for what you're doing for me? And then we bring that private prayer into public praise as well. You see, we can definitely hear from our Lord through the, our public worship times, but it's mostly through our private devotions. Please take this to heart. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'll ask you the question and you raise it in your mind. Do you have a daily devotional time? Don't raise your hand. It's just between you and the Lord. Do you have 
a daily devotional time, whenever that may be, morning, noon, or night. Because that's really when you're going to hear from the Lord. You can hear from Him, yes, on Sunday morning, but how many of you eat one meal per week? Any of you in this room just eat one meal per week? No. No. We already got this day mapped. And tomorrow, barbecue. Yes, Labor Day. There's a brother in the church here, and I won't call his name out, but when he wakes up, he's already talking to his wife about what's for dinner. (laughs) I won't look at him. (laughs) Haven't even got breakfast or lunch done yet. What's for dinner, honey? I mean, that's, that's not unique. We all think that way. That's the flesh. We gotta feed the flesh. There's a natural, we have to feed the flesh. But then there's the unnatural that I know my brother loves Jesus. And he has his daily devotionals. And he's focusing on the Word of God. You should as well. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Psalm 101, a psalm of David. So now we know David lived roughly around 1000 BC. So this is a 3000 year old psalm. I will sing of the mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. You see, King David was probably, this was probably written early on in his reign over all of Israel. You see, it took years for the prophet Samuel's anointing of David as king to take place. You'll remember, David was chased by Israel's first king, King Saul, for possibly up to 10 years. Then when King Saul died, David became king over a few tribes and located his throne in Hebron for seven years. It was after this time that the rest of Israel came to David and made him king over all of Israel. So David is now in Jerusalem, 3,000 years old. The Jews were in Jerusalem. Don't let any Muslim tell you otherwise. Read history. Read your Bible. This is a fact. Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. He was residing in the city of David, and he is now going to establish himself as Israel's second and most loved king. You see, as we read this psalm, we will hear the voice of a young man desiring to follow after his God. This young man is probably in his 30s or 40s when he's writing this, when he's, when he's writing this. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Now this word perfect does not mean sinless, but deals with integrity, a focus and single-mindedness about God's desires. This is what David is expressing here. Because again, a lot of non-Christians will say, well, you Christians just think you're sinless. No, no, we don't. We know we sin. And so I just want you to realize that the word perfect here does not mean sinless, but deals with integrity, a focus and single-mindedness about God's desires. You see, unlike King Saul, King David desired to be led by God. He desired to walk in his house, the palace, with a perfect, a completeness or an innocent heart again this is not a sinless life but one that is dedicated to the ways of god oh when you oh when will you come to me i will walk within my house with a perfect heart now when he asks this this might be in reference to the ark which was at this time in obed edom 
And so maybe he desired the ark to be moved. Well, he did desire, not maybe. He, maybe he wrote this when this, what this desire was a part of his life and he wanted it to be brought to Jerusalem, Israel's capital city. Notice what he goes on to say it, with this idea of innocence and integrity, purity. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me, and I will not know wickedness. So we know David's life, and we know some poor choices he made, so we know that this had to be written before those poor choices. So David makes a commitment to not allow his eyes to focus upon the wickedness that might cross his path. And now we would probably think the obvious as of the opposite sex. But this wasn't just physical beauty, but also setting worthless goals before him. You see, King David wanted to chart a course. And guys, this is for you and me this morning as Christians. We have a reprieve. Our government hasn't changed. If, if you, if you haven't noticed, our government has not changed. There's someone else in the presidency, but sin is rampant. So you and I as believers, we have to set our course because we have no idea what's going to happen in November. We have no idea what's going to happen two years from now, but we know it's going to happen. It is going to happen. There is going to be voting. There is going to be change. We know that's a fact. So if you and I, if we don't chart our course now, before the storm hits, we're going to be blown all over the place. And we're going to be caught up in all the politics. Don't get caught up in politics. Get caught up in Jesus. King David wanted to chart a course that would prove beneficial for everyone, everyone in the kingdom, not just for himself. Just like shaking the dust off his clothes, he would not attach himself to someone who was promoting evil. Those who fall away, those who fall away, they mean it means to swerve, to swerve. You know, it's been said that misery loves company. And David says here that he's not going to even entertain that. Perverse means to distort, hence false, false. Those who came to him didn't stick around if they had false motives because David would not put up with it. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. You see, most slander is done in secretly, or was at least. Now it's done in social media extensively. And, it's all, and it can also be done very casually, even amongst Christians. Well, I'm praying for so-and-so. You know that they have a bad marriage. You just slandered them. You just slandered them. You just put a thought in somebody else's mind that they, they don't know where to take that. Well, what does that bad mean? Does he beat his wife less? <laughs> Ask somebody that. Do you beat your wife less? Uh, uh, it's a catch-22 question, isn't it? Yes, I do. Oh, so you beat your wife. No. Oh, you don't beat her less. Yes. Guys, be careful what we say. Even under the guise of prayer. Prayer. Well, I'm praying for them. David says, no, I'm not going to tolerate it. 
It's a good admonition for us. When someone comes to talk of others with us, ask them first and foremost, hey, can I go to them and use your name as a reference? Can I go to them and use your name as a reference? And I'll tell you what, they're going to be done with you really quick. Verse 6, my eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. You see, David's eyes would be towards those who desire to show mercy and justice themselves, even as he's expressing. This is not always the case, although we all want mercy and justice. We can find ourselves having a hard time extending mercy and justice. So what can we do about it? It's always best to remember how much mercy and justice has been extended to me so that I will extend mercy and justice to others. Just remember that simple thing. Did I get mercy and justice? Yes. I'm going to extend it. I'm going to extend it to others. Because God is merciful to me. Verses 7 and 8. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. This is not speaking of the White House, is it? Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. David was looking for integrity as the music team comes up. He was looking to lead by integrity. See, David drew a line in the sand and he wasn't going to allow anyone in his household to straddle that line. He wanted his household to be ruled with truth and he also wanted those who would come close to him to be focused upon the truth. For the kingdom to be successful, David knew that those within as well as those close to him had to be found faithful. Please hear this. This applies to you and me. This applies to you and me. You see, that's a great example for the church. Even as I asked people to come on staff here, even as I was asked to go on staff full-time in 1995, the pastor was watching me for several years before I approached him. What was he looking for? Integrity, truth, honesty, purity, a desire to grow in the Lord. So as we read this and we think, well, that was David 3,000 years ago. How can I apply it to my life? You can apply it to your life. You can apply it to your life. For the church, for any organization, for the family, for a marriage. For a single person, and the list could go on and on. You see, faithfulness goes a long way in our society today. It's not a commodity that is as readily available as it used to be. And I talked to several contractors in this church, and that is a fact. 40, 50 years ago, when somebody said, I will be there and I will work, they showed up and they worked. Now when somebody says that, you better have a backup. Because you don't know if they're going to do it or not. So guys, for you and me, faithfulness via the Holy Spirit is so, so important. You see, as we look at David's latter years, we can see that he messed up big time in that area of faithfulness. Maybe self-righteousness took root in his life and his dependency upon God waned. You see, even when Nathan confronted David about Bathsheba, he was very hard with his judgment of the situation until Nathan told him, you, David, you were the one who had committed this sin. But once David acknowledged the truth, mercy was extended to him by God, 
And we all need that. I'd like to wrap it up with this slide. Let's keep that in mind as we go about our lives this week. Let's extend mercy to those who need it. Key point here. Whether they know it or not. Whether they know it or not. Let's extend mercy. And then I would encourage you guys to read Luke. I would encourage you to write down Luke chapter 6, 32 through 36. See, some of you already zipped up your Bibles. Write down Luke 6 and read verses 32 through 36. We ran out of time. And verse 36 says this, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful, your Father in heaven. Father, we need mercy. We acknowledge that. We, we need mercy. And we thank you and praise you for the examples that we have in the Bible, but also the examples we have around us today. We need mercy, and we thank you for being merciful to us. Lord, help us to, to apply that mercy to those around us this week, whether they know they need it or not. And maybe just by being that merciful example maybe that will lead them to Christ. Maybe that will bring them into a relationship with God. The Holy Spirit will convict them, possibly, and they will receive it, possibly. So Lord, this week, as we maybe meditate upon your mercy, help us not to just meditate on it, but also to apply it to our lives, to those around us this week to our coworkers, to our family members, to our neighbors, to our siblings, to our, our family members as a whole. Father, help us to just realize you are a merciful God. Even as we look at these psalms that they were singing during the captivity, they understood that you were a merciful God, but you were also a just God. And you disciplined them out of love. Lord, discipline us. You love us, and it'll be good for us that we might understand how merciful your discipline is. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, we all stand. You know, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please come up after the service, and Joe will be up here to pray with you. And there's no greater privilege than to pray with, pray with someone to receive Jesus. So don't leave today without a relationship with Christ. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Remember Wednesday night? If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you guys. Amen. I just love that Psalm 100. Um, so I wanted to sing a song from Psalm 100. Unfortunately, we don't have the lyrics. I'm sorry. And these guys have no clue, probably, the song even. But I used to sing it to my kids. When they were little, I heard it somewhere growing up or something. I kind of thought of it as more of a kid's song, but I think it's just an old song. So hopefully you guys know this. I think it's pretty popular. It goes, and I haven't played it in years, so I hope I got the right chords. But I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say, I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has 
Go in the joy of the Lord. 